This is the Special Needs Family Hour with Julie Ames. Brought to you by Special Needs Family Hour, Inc. For the next hour, we'll be discussing the particular challenges and real-life solutions for families with special needs. If you found us, please know that you are not alone. To find out more, go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. Now, here is your host, Julie Ames, on AM860, The Answer. Thanks for listening today to the Special Needs Family Hour. I'm Julie Ames on AM860, The Answer. Our show is dedicated to helping those parents and caregivers are caring for special people. The theme of the show is the essay, Welcome to Holland, by Emily Pearl Kingsley. Kingsley describes the experience of raising a child with a disability. It's like planning a fabulous vacation trip to Italy, only to realize that your plane has landed in Holland. Holland isn't a bad place. It's just a different place. So you must go out, buy a new guidebook, learn a whole new language, and meet a whole new group of people you had never met. Holland is a code word for living life with those with disabilities. My hope and prayer are that the challenges we all face in Holland will make us better people. It's been an interesting time for us in Holland. Our oldest two daughters, Maria and Christina, are on the autism spectrum and have intellectual disabilities. Our youngest daughter, Anna, is in college. My grandmother, Mary Clark, passed away last night. She celebrated her 100th birthday this past January at the Columbia Restaurant. It was a large gathering with family and friends. She knew everyone. There was a moment when I wondered if she remembered her bridge partners. It only took her a couple seconds to recognize them, laugh, and say hello. Yes, sometimes it takes me longer. (laughs) My grandmother's faith and family were of the utmost importance to her. She was a wonderful and gracious woman, someone that everyone should aspire to be like. I always called my grandmother's nanny. As a young career woman, I had always planned to have a nanny for my children if I ever decided to have any. I felt every child should have a nanny. I finally realized that those warm, fuzzy feelings that I had about nannies were misplaced. Nannies represented unconditional love to me. Actually, it was grandmothers who represented unconditional love to me. I am fortunate enough to have grandmothers like mine and the opportunity to experience that type of love. Today, we have a great show with another amazing guest, Haley Moss. Haley is a South Florida native who was diagnosed with autism at the age of three. Upon receiving her diagnosis, her family was told that she would be fortunate to make a friend, graduate from high school, or obtain her driver's license. Haley has defied all expectations set forth within her initial diagnosis. She is an attorney, author, artist, and autism advocate who writes and speaks publicly about her journey and gives hope for other autistic people and their families and friends. I'm Julie Ames, and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour right here on AM. 860, The Answer. Please stay with us. We will be right back. To reach Julie or any of the guests on today's show, call 813-816-2637. That's 813-816-2637. Or go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Special Needs Family Hour with Julie Ames on AM860, The Answer. To contact Julie, go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. That's specialneedsfamilyhour.com. Now, here's Julie Ames. I'm Julie Ames, and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM860, The Answer. Our guest is Haley Moss, who is the first openly autistic woman to pass the bar and become a lawyer in the state of Florida. Upon receiving her autism diagnosis, 
three years old, her family was told that she would be fortunate to make a friend, graduate from high school, or obtain her driver's license. Haley has obviously defied the expectations. She is an attorney, author, artist, and autism advocate. Today, we are going to discuss her journey. So, Haley, why don't we start at the beginning? What did your parents do when you were diagnosed as having autism? When I was first diagnosed, there was definitely more of a shortage of resources than we have today. I like to start this off by reminding you that the year was 1997. And in the 90s, we didn't quite have the same, you know, access to the Internet. We didn't have as many resources that it's almost overwhelming if you look today. Yes. So my parents first started with the CARD Center, so the Center for Autism-Related Disabilities, and they were able to point us in the right direction. I was also a floor-time kid. My mom was a stay-at-home mom, so I had a lot of floor-time. We played. We tried teaching me to speak and things that way. I also had occupational therapy and speech therapy as well. And was speaking by four, but mostly echolalia, so repeating things that other people would say or that I would hear. And I wouldn't say that I really had novel speech of my own, so to speak, until maybe I was in about the first grade. Interesting. So was it what drove your parents to get the diagnosis of autism? I was nonverbal until I was three, and I was also the kind of kid who was completing 100-piece jigsaw puzzles on their own at that age, too. So there was definitely something interesting, and I was able to read what was on TV. So it was very clear that I was understanding things, even though... I wasn't speaking, and most of my communication was behavior. I was a difficult kid. I cried and screamed a lot. I also pointed at things. So I was able to communicate, just not in the way that we're used to communicating. So that also led to things, and I also had trouble in preschool. I was kindly asked to leave. I didn't color inside the lines. I didn't drink out of a cup properly. So when we think of drinking out of a cup with our hands, we think of taking it to our lips and sipping that way. Right. I modeled after our dog using my tongue. <laughs> okay. I didn't so, know. Yes. So certain it, things like that, that not really typical behavior for preschoolers. And how far, hey, how far we've come. Oh my gosh. Because my, my daughter was born in 96 and you're so right. It's almost the dark ages as far as kids on the spectrum. So when your parents got that diagnosis, now, are you the oldest in your family? Or are you an only child? Or are there siblings? I'm the only one. They're stuck okay. with me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. My family is wonderful. So I'm yes. the only kid. I do share time when I am home with a dog and a cat. Okay. Okay. All right. So after that diagnosis, so it sounds like your family, your parents were wonderful at getting you the interventions that you needed? They are amazing human beings. So as you, Hi, so, Mom. yes. Hi, Dad, if you're listening. Oh, okay. <laughs> and I think I saw your mom's name is Sherry? Yeah, my mom is Sherry and my dad is Rick. Okay, awesome. All right, so, oh, are either of them lawyers? I just have to ask. No. Okay, all right, I just wanted to ask that. All right, so they get the diagnosis, they get you the interventions, but basically you're really not communicating until first grade. I mean, echolalia, I still think, is communication. So right. Just, I, I truly do believe it. That you, I mean, we do it all the time. Look at how we quote movies and TV when we don't know what else to say. Right. Even if it says something that we're trying to convey. I think echolalia absolutely is communication. Yes. I don't think it's meaningless. I, am, I think that all communication has some kind of meaning to some extent. Right. So even, it, so even if I quote 
I don't know, one of the movies that I think of right away is Inglorious Bastards. And there's a moment when one of the guys goes, that's a bingo. Like, <laughs> I mean, like, yep, got it. And it's like, if I don't know what to say, sometimes it might be that's a bingo. And it means exactly what it sounds like. Yes. Okay. That makes. So I think perfect. we do echo Like we do echoic speech. I think as people regularly, it's just with autism, we see it a lot more, and we tend to pathologize it more. Yes, that's interesting because I do do that. I had never really thought about it, but you're correct. I do do that, and it is interesting. We all stem too. We all stem too to an extent when you look at it like that. Do you twirl your hair? Uh, sometimes. <laughs> Or <laughs> you twiddle your thumbs or just things to keep your senses busy or to keep your body kind of engaged. Yeah, you spin too then. I know, I know. It's, it's not to the same extent, or maybe you're not flapping your hands, but you're doing something that is a self-stimulatory behavior. Just again, with autism, we tend to see either a lot more of it or we pathologize it to a certain extent. Right. It's more pronounced sometimes. All right. So your artwork. Okay. You are an artist. And what I think is interesting is you've always enjoyed art. But you were telling me, I guess your current art or the presentation, why don't you explain your, your process of becoming an artist? So... I was always a crayon box kid. I always loved art class. My mom and I used to do arts and crafts during the summers when I was home from school, all these things. So I was always very creative. I'm also left-handed, if that goes into anything, because people like to take the argument that lefties are creative. Right. And I just think it's an interesting, fun fact to get to share, because it usually makes you go, oh, you're left-handed. Yeah. Oh, that explains things. But yes. <laughs> My art really didn't start looking like kind of what you see now until I was about 12 or 13. And I always really enjoyed it. I love anime. I love bright colors. I love being able to make people smile. And some of my earliest influences and continued influences are even art like Romero Brito because it's very bright. It's very colorful. It's very happy. And living in Miami, we see a lot of Romero Brito. So that makes sense. I imagine that it's one of those influences that was in my house growing up. It's in public so there's sculptures around town i mean i i've been in miami for four years and when i think about it i'm like i grew up maybe 50 minutes away from here right. and still that influence is very south florida right and but that was my first lo- thought yes it, it's such a, it's kind of an interesting thought when i think about it in hindsight because i think when you're young you don't think oh i'm super inspired by this or this is what really influences my work but it always did Right. Well, I was impressed when I was on your website, the the energy and how positive it was, the colors, everything. It's just extremely upbeat, high energy, like you. <laughs> I, like to, I like to make people smile. And it's funny when, with influences, I was actually writing about this for something that I was working on. And I realized on top of Brito and things, some of the earliest influences I had were video games. Okay. What were you kind of, playing? Like... Like Sonic the Hedgehog and Super Mario, things like that, is I realized that Sonic the Hedgehog was probably one of the first things I used to draw a lot when I was really young in elementary school. And I realized even the style of that stuff is very anime and also very Japanese-inspired and things like that. And I realized that even video games have an influence art. And even when you look at the fictional worlds of games and things, they are very colorful and bright and things as well. That's true. Now, you became an author. That was middle school. But you know what? Let's go back a little bit more. When did you realize you were considered autistic or on the autism spectrum? I found out that I was autistic when I was nine years old. And how- I 
My parents sat me down one day during the summer and told me I had magical powers. And, of course, being obsessed with Harry Potter at the time, I totally bought it that I had magical powers to Harry. (laughs) That's cool. Okay. Not every nine-year-old is going to believe that. It's just like whether or not you believe in Santa or if it's magic, that's in all of us. I totally believed I had magical powers, and I couldn't wait to hear out what this meant exactly. Right. And my parents explained that autism isn't better or worse. It's just different, and that different can be extraordinary. So I already had this frame that this isn't a bad thing. So I got we focused a lot on the strengths rather than the weaknesses. We talked about the things I was good at, because I think most kids know what's hard for them. They know what they're struggling with. Right. But we are always told when we're doing a good job. Even look at being in the workplace or look at being in school. We usually are told when we're doing something wrong, not when we're doing something right. Right. True. So getting that framework of this is what we're good at, this is what you are strong at, that you're really creative, you're a great listener, you are a writer, you're this, you're very empathetic, you have a great memory, all these things rather than going, well, you know, you kind of suck at making friends or that you are struggling at making friends and keeping friends and things like that was a really great framework to grow up with yes. and to see that there was this magic in me because I am autistic, that there is a version of greatness inside of each of us and that's part of why I am who I am and part of what makes me unique and I really did appreciate having that superpowers type view I mean I don't know if I would say that autism is a superpower I think that's a very individual assessment but I think about even Greta Thunberg now and how she talks about having Asperger's as a superpower interesting for her and given the right circumstances and I think she might have had a very similar experience of learning about the positives or understanding that there are strengths associated with having a different mind. Well, it's, a, it's bringing that different perspective to something. Absolutely. And I think the world does need all kinds of minds. Yes. I feel very, very strongly about that. Yes. Now, I was looking at, I was going through your website, and I noticed that it looks like you were first recognized for your art maybe in 2011. Does that sound right? That sounds about right. Is I... I think it, a little bit earlier, I actually did, a couple of years earlier, in 2009, I believe, I did my first solo show, and that's actually when I ended up telling everybody I knew I was autistic. Oh, wow. It's right. a whole story in of itself. Okay, and when you told everyone you were autistic, was that difficult? I mean, let me tell the story. It's probably better to do it that way. Okay. So I was doing an art show here in Miami, I went to high school in Fort Lauderdale, so about like 35 miles away. And I remember giving part of my proceeds were going to be benefiting UM card. And I gave a flyer to my English teacher. And he's like, this is wonderful. And he decides that it would be great to share with the class. So I'm all for it because I would love if people came, even though I didn't really have the friends and didn't really know who to invite. And he asked me on the spot, why did you pick to donate proceeds to CARD? Oh, okay. And I feel like I had a choice in that moment of what do I do? Do I just say this is something I care about? This is something that would just make something up? Or do I just tell the truth? And that was the moment I decided to say, well, I benefited CARD because I'm autistic and they've helped my family all the years and I want to give back to that. Wow. So I got to explain what it was like to be autistic and what it meant. And at 14, it's a big admission. Yes. Yeah, so what did you call your entire class? And honestly, I was working on my first book at the time anyway. I wasn't sure if I was going to even publish it under my name. Right. I had no clue what I was going to be doing. It was something that I was very, autism was the thing that I mainly disclosed to teachers and people who needed to know. 
Right. Maybe if I had a close friend, I might have said something, but I feel like it was a very need-to-know basis thing, and that moment was definitely a game-changer for me. Wow. Well, let's take a break. I wrote about I wrote about it more in-depth, actually, for Teen Vogue, so I got to see what I wrote as well, because I know I really explained it right. and wrote it out, because for me, sometimes it's easier to write things out than to say them. Yes, that makes sense. All right, you know what? Let's take a break there, and when we come back, let's continue our conversation on the other side. I'm Julie Ames, and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM 860, The Answer. Our guest is Haley Moss, who is the first openly autistic woman to pass the bar and become a lawyer in the state of Florida. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. To reach Julie or any of the guests on today's show, call 813-816-2637. That's 813-816-2637. Or go to Special Needs Family Hour. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Special Needs Family Hour with Julie Ames on AM860, The Answer. To contact Julie, go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. That's specialneedsfamilyhour.com. Now, here's Julie Ames. I'm Julie Ames, and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM860, The Answer. Our guest is Haley Moss, who is the first openly autistic woman to pass the bar and become a lawyer in the state of Florida. She is an attorney, author, artist, and autism advocate. Now, Haley, before the break, we were just discussing I, when you first started donating your art to raise money. And this is when you're 14 years old and you tell your classmates that you have autism because you decided it was best just to go ahead and say why you were donating the money to the University of Miami CARD Center for Autism and Related Disabilities. Correct? Sounds, sounds about right to me. Okay, so you donate your your art to that. And then from there on, like I see on your website, you still donate your art. And I saw a picture of you with, I believe it was J-Lo and President Clinton. What was that about? I was actually the featured artist for an event in New York City hosted by Samsung. So they do a gala every year called Hope for Children, or at least they used to do this gala every year. Right. And I was the Teen Hero Award winner, and I was the official artist, so I did all the artwork for people like President Clinton, J-Lo, John Legend. It was really, really cool. I bet it was. I, and you have pictures to prove it. <laughs> I saw them. Um mm-hmm. All right, and then I have another question. So you started writing shortly after that, is that correct? I started writing actually around, right before my 14th birthday. So I actually spoke at the Autism Society of America conference. I was invited to be on a panel. And on that panel, I was the youngest one. I was the only girl. And someone asked me about how I found out I was autistic. And I told the Harry Potter story that we talked about earlier in the show. Right. And... My publisher at the time was in the audience and asked me if I'd be interested in writing a book. And I was, and we wrote about middle school, and two years later, when I was a sophomore in high school, we had a book. So it was really an experience, and I still love to write. I wrote a book about college. I currently write mostly shorter pieces at this point because I like to be as accessible as possible to the public. Right. And also, it's fun to get to write opinion pieces and to write just like snippets of life on the spectrum. So things like that at this point are really, really fun. So, and I've written for places like Teen Vogue, The Washington Post, HuffPo. I've written 
for all sorts of outlets. It's really a blast for me and to also bring things to a bigger audience. Yes. Now, a lot of your books, I would assume, I'm, a lot of your books I cover, cover the social issues primarily. Yeah, I like to cover the social and just kind of like guide to life of all these things with being in middle school and being in college. So whether it's going through puberty, finding your classes, making friends or attempting to make friends and join student organizations, whatever it might be, I try to have an answer and some kind of personal experience to go along with it because I wanted to help other people on the spectrum because there really were no guides, so to speak, when I was in school. When I wanted to go to college, especially, nothing was out there, really. All that was out there was stuff written by parents and professionals. Yes, and we just, all we've told people is that you're a lawyer, but why don't you tell them that about your undergraduate degrees, and I guess you were, I, you graduated from college at 20? Yes, I was 20 years old. I, I graduated in three years. I did summer semesters and had AP credit, so I was a little bit of a nerd. I double majored, and I did a minor, so I majored in psychology, and I also majored in criminology, so basically the study of like criminal justice and all that stuff. Right. And I did a minor in disability and society, which was mostly disability studies, like critical thinking about disability, all sorts of really interesting stuff. So that's why I can also back up what I say a lot of the times about disability and tell you all sorts of really interesting disability rights tidbits, which do not go into my law practice, shockingly enough, as people like to point out. Yes. But it's something that I like to geek out about, and it's also something that I did because it was something I found exciting and fun to take electives in that area right. and learn about things that I know a lot about anyway. Yes, well, I met you at the Pep and Autism Workforce Breakfast last month, mm-hmm. and I loved your talk because you were talking about autism in the workplace, and that's one of your favorite topics. Can you explain a little bit about that? About preconceived. I liked what you had to say about preconceived ideas that people have about people with autism. Because on the break, you and I were talking about that you don't really look like you've ever come anything. You are who you are. You just look at it like you've ever come maybe barriers in society. I mean, there's, there's a difference there. And I Absolutely. thought. Absolutely. I think let's start there and then we can unpack all the different workforce issues. So. I do feel kind of weird when people say that I've either either overcome autism or I'm an inspiration. Right. So I don't feel like I necessarily overcame autism at all. I am autistic. I'm proud of that. I don't want to change that about myself. I do feel that I've overcome low expectations that society sets for people with disabilities generally, autism as well. Right. I think we expect very little of people on the spectrum, and that's a problem. Correct. You overcome that, and there's also barriers everywhere you go, whether it's trying to get accommodations or it's even having a seat at the table talking about you. That society has a tendency to look at authority on disability and autism as parents and educators and professionals and not include the people who actually have the conditions that we're talking about. Right. So I am very critical of the fact there isn't enough autistic leadership at most nonprofits that serve us, that... We aren't consulting with enough people on the spectrum when it comes to the workforce and things like this because it really can make a difference. It's not that we are our experts. I like to think of people on the spectrum as everyday experts. So we're the experts on ourselves. We're the experts on our experiences. No amount of research can tell you exactly which little tiny thing it will that will send me into a sensory overload. 
research will tell you autistic people have sensory overloads or right. maybe it's the music or it's the this or it's the, or the light. light. And, I go, and every time I can just sit there, just deadpan and look you look at your nose because I'm not going to look you in the eye probably. I mean, you know, right. it was the hum of the light and also it was the saxophone. So, you know, maybe... Turn right. light off and also play a song that doesn't have saxophone in it. Yes. Well, you had mentioned that that's one of those things that you do need at work. It's just a little bit lower light. I mean, yeah. Sometimes. I feel like for us, since generally are just painful after a while. And I hear I hear them more than I think that they're too bright. Interesting. It's more of the noise because I can hear, I can hear those little tiny sounds. And I also wear headphones a lot at work because it just kind of helps me tune out the social situations and what kind of goes on day in, day in and day out too. So I kind of keep quiet when I need it and I socialize on my own terms and do things when I want to. I feel like I'm a cat like that sometimes. Okay. Cats do that. Yes, that's true. You know how cats let you know when they want attention and when they also are like, leave me alone. Right. Okay. Sometimes it's like being a cat. Okay. I think that's the best way to describe it in a way that makes sense to I like to break things down in a way that makes sense to people who are not on the spectrum. Yes. So that's probably the easiest way I could describe it is sometimes they want attention. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes it's too much. They will let you know if you're petting them too much. Right. Well, here's a question. Is You were talking about the preconceived ideas that when a person hears autism, they automatically think you're a math- mathematical savant or something. Mm-hmm. I think with autism that people either think that you have an intellectual disability as well and don't understand things or you are a STEM genius. So they think you're going to be a massive aunt or you're the next Bill Gates or something like that. And it's really weird having to break those stigmas down and stereotypes down because we also think of a lot of boys. Right. We think of boys and men mostly and we don't think of women. We don't think of people that aren't in computers or math or any of those types of STEM fields. And Or we think of the complete opposite side of the spectrum in jobs is we think about people that are baggers at Publix or working at the deli counter or file clerks. We don't think about that all jobs should be including people with disabilities and that should be neurodiverse in their teams and in their work. So being a lawyer is a huge step in that representation of, yeah, I'm not an engineer. I'm not a doctor. I thought I was going to be a doctor for maybe six weeks of my college career. But really? What happened? Chemistry happened. <laughs> I decided it wasn't for me. It didn't make me very happy, and I wasn't passionate about it, and I thought it was really hard, and it wasn't quite for my brain, so I dropped chemistry in the first six weeks. Yes. I tried. Right. And then... How did, how again, did, I'm not a doctor. So how did you decide on law? I realized I had to go back to the drawing board and realize, what is it that I'm actually excited about? What do I enjoy doing? And I realized for me those things were I love to talk, I love to write, and I know that whatever I do, I have to help other people and make a difference. And lawyers can do that every single day. That's true. Very good. Well, why don't we take a break there, and we'll continue our conversation after the break. I'm Julie Ames, and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM860, The Answer. Our guest is Haley Moss, who is the first openly autistic woman to pass the bar and become a lawyer in the state of Florida. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. To reach Julie or any of the guests on today's show, call 813-816-2637. That's 813-816-2637. Or go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. We'll be right back. 
Welcome back to the Special Needs Family Hour with Julie Ames on AM860, The Answer. To contact Julie, go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. That's specialneedsfamilyhour.com. Now, here's Julie Ames. I'm Julie Ames, and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM860, The Answer. Our guest is Haley Moss, who is the first openly autistic woman to pass the bar and become a lawyer in the state of Florida. She is an attorney, author, artist, and autism advocate. Now, we were just talking about autism in the workplace. Can we talk a little bit about neurodiversity in the workplace? Absolutely. I think neurodiversity in the workplace is kind of the broader umbrella, so autism falls under neurodiversity. And if you are unfamiliar with neurodiversity, it's the concept that variation and diversity of our brains is totally normal and should be respected and accepted. So people that fall under the neurodiverse umbrella or neurodivergence usually are people who have ADHD, learning disabilities, intellectual disabilities, autism, Tourette's syndrome, things like that. So it's a very broad umbrella of disability statuses and different conditions, which is something I think is really great because we do put a lot of effort into autism especially in the neurodiverse community, also in hiring. And that's mainly because autism has the highest unemployment rate of all disabilities. Right. So I think that's why autism particularly gets a lot of attention in this community of greater neurological disabilities and things of that nature. But I think it's important that all kinds of disabilities that fall under neurodiversity are expected to be accepted, respected, things like that. And it's natural that we have different brains. And I think we need all kinds of minds to solve the problems of today and tomorrow. So the future, if you ask me, truly is neurodiverse, that we do have different kinds of minds in different situations, workplaces, all throughout society, that it shouldn't be a big deal and we shouldn't be discriminating or treating people differently because of it. Well, it comes back to the idea that there's different intelligences, Mm-hmm. different ways of looking at it. There's emotional intelligence, there's IQ, there's all these different ways that we look at people, but people learn to function with who they are, and part of that is also being considerate and accepting people for who they are. Absolutely, and we learn so much from each other. Yes, well... If you, if you think about it, think of how much we've learned from one another in this conversation, how much we learn when... We interact with people who have different experiences than we do, whether it is in terms of how our brains work or even just in terms of identity. I know that I learned every time that I talk to someone who is autistic but also has a different racial background than I do or someone who is LGBTQ or anyone that is different than what I experience day in and day out or even someone with an intellectual disability. I learned so much from people who have different kinds of minds and different experiences than mine. And I think that's just part of being human. Yes, well, let's talk about transition to adulthood because there are so many transitions. There's the transition from high school to a transition program or to working or to college. And then right now you're going from the transition of you you graduate from law school, you pass the bar, and now you're working at a firm. So can we talk a little bit about transition, maybe how your family has helped you and any insight you could offer to families out there? Oh, my God. Where to start? So I feel like with transitions, there's little transitions and big transitions. I like to look at it as there's like capital T transitions and lowercase t transitions if you're a visual person. Right. And you're 
your capital T transitions are the big guys. So going from high school to college, college to the workforce, or to a transition program, or making some kind of big life change. Maybe it's moving. Right. And so those are capital T transitions. And those are really stressful, and there's a lot that goes into them. So I think it's up to us to work through them as, a, as families, as partners and providers, whoever it is that makes up your team of people. So for me, like my team is my family. Even right now, I realize that chosen family matters too and the people that you love. and are, So friends, family, even my employers who are wonderful human beings and are so accommodating and accepting, and I can't say enough great things. So just having that team approach of, okay, how can we make this better? How do we know what to expect? Right. Just things like that. And I remember I wish that I had learned more life skills when I first went to college because the first time I did laundry in college, I did not know which one at the dorm was the washer and which one was the dryer. Oh, no. (laughs) You you already know where the story is going that I put everything in the dryer first and wondered why my clothes were warm and soapy. Right. Oh, no. Okay. Because the washer dryer did not look like the one I had at home. Yes. Okay. They were stacked. The ones that I have at home, you can see the little window with the dryer, and you know that it's next to the washer while they were stacked in college, and the dryer was on top of the washer or something like that, and I didn't know which one was which. Okay, so basic so skills. getting to see, th- see things and be... I'm very visual, so getting to see something like that would matter to me. Right. So, so I think with our big transitions, having a plan to prep and getting to see things really matters. Our little or lowercase transitions are things we do every day. So transitioning from going from waking up in the morning to going to work or school or a transition program or whatever it is that you are headed, that's a little transition. Is the, okay, get out of bed. You ate something, and then you're going to go in the car, and then you're going to go to the office or, or class or whatever it is you're headed to. And then you're going to head to this thing. And, like, those are, like, little transitions we do, that we do them every day. We don't always think about them, but that's when I think establishing routine is something that matters. I am one of those people that thrives on routine. I know I'm usually at work about the same time every day. I usually try to schedule when I'm going to work out, what time I'm going to be home, when I call my parents at the end of the day. I have everything very Scheduled. laid out in a certain way that it makes it less stressful for me. Yeah. Even the little transitions don't matter so much. Now, when you were growing up, do social stories help you? Or I don't know. I don't think social stories really helped me so much. Were I, they even around? They were around. Okay. Because I did have to write one for my middle school book. Okay. So I do remember having to write a social story, being like, and I remember asking, like, I don't know what this means. Right, right. Because we always did things very hands-on. So if it was, like, when we think about social stories about starting in a new school, we would just literally go to the new school and ask to tour it around or get to meet the teacher a couple weeks beforehand. Okay. So your mom was... So it was very visual, very hands-on, because that was how I learned best. And that's what's important about this, is your parents understood how you learned, and they made sure that they helped meet your needs in that respect. Absolutely. I think with learning, and even with parents, it's a partnership between you, the person with a disability, your family, teachers, whoever makes up your team. And I think it's an equal partnership. As I would be the first one to be like, I'm overwhelmed, or this is too much, is knowing and being able to somehow communicate that in some way, whether it's a gesture, whether it's actually saying this is too much, or maybe it's the fact that you can't say it and you just have a meltdown because it's just too overwhelming and too much for one day. Right. I think that that's why I like to say that communication is not just words. 
And I think it's really, really important to keep that in mind with transitions and that we are equal partners in this. It's not that you're making decisions for us. We're making decisions as a team. We're making decisions together and we're making decisions with you. Yes. Well, let's stop there and we'll exit to a commercial and we'll come right back and continue our conversation. I'm Julie Eames and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM 860 The Answer. Our guest is Haley Moss, who is the first openly autistic woman to pass the bar and become a lawyer in the state of Florida. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. To reach Julie or any of the guests on today's show, call 813-816-2637. That's 813-816-2637. Or go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Special Needs Family Hour with Julie Ames on AM860, The Answer. To contact Julie, go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. That's specialneedsfamilyhour.com. Now, here's Julie Ames. I'm Julie Ames, and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM860, The Answer. Our guest is Haley Moss, who is the first openly autistic woman to pass the bar and become a lawyer in the state of Florida she is an attorney, author, artist, and autism advocate. So, Haley, my big question for you, and I'm sure everyone wants to know, is what are you up to now? Currently, I practice law full-time, so I work at a law firm here in Coral Gables, Florida. I practice mostly in international law, so mostly what I do is actually anti-terrorism litigation stuff, so getting to help victims of actual terrorism and drug cartels and things recover for injuries that they've had and go after that kind of, that kind of money and things like that, which is really interesting. And yes, it is. Describe what I do. So I do not practice disability rights law. I do not do special education cases. I get a lot of inquiries for them, but that's not what I practice in. <laughs> right. So when you're and, going, can I just ask, when you're going after those types of cases, are you suing countries or, I mean... You are, you're actually, you actually go after the entities themselves. Got it. So... Interesting. Whatever organization it might be. Okay. Interesting. Wow. All right. So that's your day job. Outside of my day job, I still write. I still... I, speak, I get to travel around the country, actually, and I get to speak about... Inclusion, I get to talk about disability, autism, a lot of the things that we started touching on. Hence, we also met up in Tampa at the Workforce Breakfast that right. we talked about earlier. Is I love my friends at Pepin Academies, and I get to come visit every so often and speak to students and people in the community. So that's stuff that I really love doing. I love getting to travel to speak. I love getting to go new places with schools, conferences, events, galas, whatever it is. I have a total blast doing it. It is so much fun. I actually got back a couple this week earlier this week from Denver, Colorado, where I spoke. I've just been all over the place. It's been a really big adventure. So on top of the adventure and writing, I'm always trying to work on making things better for people with disabilities, autism, the, the legal profession, whatever it might be. And in my spare time, because people think I don't have any spare time. I know. <laughs> I love to work out. Yes. I love to. So that's something that I'm really excited about. I love to play games. I love to watch TV and movies. I like, I'm pretty low-key and chill of a person once I'm outside of autism and advocacy and all that and lawyering. So I'm very much a homebody. I love to sit by the pool. I love to just 
I, I really like to just be outside and read a good book. I'm very introverted at heart, so getting right. to do all that stuff. I like to keep to myself. I'm like, I love, honestly, the highlight of my day sometimes is just coming home and getting to watch TV and have a glass of wine. Or my highlight could also just be, I got to work out today and do something that made me feel good. Right, right. Well, I was looking at the topics, uh, just so people listening out there, these are your favorite topics to talk about. My life with autism, from nonverbal to lawyer, overcoming obstacles, the importance of neurodiversity, accepting autism in women, autism in the workplace, autism in education, transition to adulthood, autism in media representation, and self-advocacy are some of your topics that you talk about on a regular basis. The autism and media representation, what type of things do you talk about on that? I like to talk about what's going on in our culture and how we see autism portrayed on things like TV and even how journalists and people cover stories about people on the spectrum. So I like to watch all those shows that come out. So things like Atypical and The Good Doctor, which I have not watched, and how we've evolved past Rain Man and how we can do better, how accurate those things are. And right. also when you see stories that we tend to share on Facebook and things like that of person with Down syndrome becomes a flight attendant for a day, things like that. It's how are we telling stories? Why is this a good thing or a bad thing? And to think critically about it and how can we do better? Because the stories we tell matters. It shapes how the public sees people on the spectrum. It shapes how we talk about autistic people. It really has more of an impact than we think. So it's ma- it matters how we tell stories, who tells stories, and what message is being told and who the audience is. Yes, that's so true. Well, and you think about Rain Man, I still think that's how most people picture people with autism is Rain Man. And that was, I was just looking it up, that was in 1988. Mm-hmm. That's how long and ago that... There are still people who think but you're not Rain Man. Right, right. So it really shows how Rain Man influenced the landscape of how we talk about and perceive autism. Is No, I don't look like Rain Man. You're right. I'm a woman. I also do not have the same struggles he did. that he did. I'm able to be independent, mostly. I'm able to do certain things, I can't, but I can't count cards or tell you how many toothpicks come out of a case on the floor. Right. Now, when do you find time to do your writing and your art? After work. <laughs> okay, when you're not exercising. I mean, I, I mean, if I exercise, it's usually a couple days a week, and it's like maybe an hour. Wow. Well, thank you so much. So, Haley, what's your next big event in Central Florida where people could possibly meet you? You can come see me at the statewide annual card conference in January. It's going to be in Orlando, and you can meet all sorts of autism experts and self-advocates and people from all over the state. It's going to be really exciting. I believe it is on January 17th through the 19th. Yeah, I just looked it up. That's It's January 17th through 19th, and it's, at, and it's in Orlando. So hopefully... I will get to see you all there. Awesome. That sounds great. Thank you for being here. And can you please give people the how to contact you? Absolutely. If you want to stay in touch, you can always visit my website at HaleyMoss.net. And if you want to stay in touch a little bit more live time or you're on social media, 
You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Haley Moss Art. Awesome. Thank you again. I'm Julie Ames, and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM860, The Answer. Don't forget to like the Special Needs Family Hour Facebook page and to sign up for our newsletter. Please join us next Sunday at 1. Thank you for listening to the Special Needs Family Hour. If you've missed any part of today's program, you can get the podcast of this and every show at specialneedsfamilyhour.com. While there, please take advantage of the resources we've made available. And if you're so inclined, please support the advertisers that support this program. Special Needs Family Hour, Inc. is a nonprofit 501c3 organization. More than anything, just know that you are not alone. And we invite you to join us next Sunday at 1, only on AM 860. The Answer. The Answer.